Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's modern mom problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs, where we try to solve modern mom problems or at least have fun talking about them. If you like what we're doing, be sure to subscribe. Today's topic is parenting hacks, how to improve kids' listening skills and strengthen your relationship with them. I am joined by Andy Martineau. Andy is a mom of six, a reformed yeller, a best-selling author, and the creator of the Connect Method Parenting, a breakthrough through parenting framework that leverages connection as the primary mechanism for influencing children. Her approach helps parents discover why kids don't listen and show them the step-by-step process for regaining influence in building relationships that will last a lifetime. Andy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm excited to dive into this with me you. Too, <laughs> me too. I'm so excited that you're here. So as I mentioned, you are the creator of the Connect Method Parenting. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started doing what you do. Yeah, just a little bit about me. You said so much, so I'll just keep it keep it short and sweet. Is I have six kids and I had them in eight years, which is really the catalyst to why I created this because I really struggled with parenting. In fact, I like to say it could all be traced back to this moment. I call it the great baby powder blizzard of 2006, where my kids, after me having this beautiful morning and I was feeling like I was killing it as a mom, cleaned up breakfast, done the laundry. And then I realized it had been really quiet for a period of time that when you have toddlers in the house, you know, is a sure, sure sign that something has gone amiss. And so I sneak into the playroom. And as I look around the corner, I realize they had gotten a Costco size bottle of baby powder. And I later found out, I didn't, I don't remember this, but as I've been talking about it with my kids over the years, my older daughter, who was part of the fiasco said, mom, we also got the big bag of flour. That's, and that makes more sense why they were able to cover such large amounts of ground. And they just covered the room. And we're from, we were just talking about Arizona. I'm from Arizona. And so we don't get blizzards of any kind in the Valley in Phoenix Metro. And so it was this blizzard of sorts, the first blizzard I'd ever experienced, but not the kind you want to experience where everything was just doused. Our electronics were ruined. We had a big beanbag with this perfectly, you know, the the microfiber fabric that just clings to everything. And the kids were covered and little snowmen. And I walked in and I, I lost it like I typically did. Yelled, you know, threatened to take away all the toys, punish them, saying, you know, we're going to do extra chores, no TV and all of the things. And my, he was three or four at the time. He's now 19, but he was just this happy-go-lucky child. He always has been. When I looked at him at first, I could tell he wanted to show me this beautiful creation that they had spent all this time doing. And as I started into my, you know, lecture, correcting, icky sense, his face just fell. And I had this moment 
where all of a sudden there was a clarity that I typically lacked (laughs) that came to me in that moment. And I was able to calm my nervous system down. I had no idea how I did it at the time. was so grateful it happened. Calmed my nervous system down, looked at him in the eyes, were able to smile and have a friendly exchange, actually took a picture, had to pull out the old school actual camera because my phone was not equipped with a camera back then, and cleaned it up fairly quickly, all things considered. And I remember thinking back on that event that night and the days following and thinking, whatever I did, whatever happened, I want to learn how to do that again. I want to be able to replicate that. I didn't know how I had done it. So I didn't know how to do it again consistently. It was, it seemed like a fluke. And so that started me on this journey of, I have got to figure this out. I had been a nurse, had worked in the hospital, so I'd stepped away from that. So it was a moment also of, this is my job. I'm going to make, I'm going to treat this like a job. I'm going to get further education. I'm going to master this skill. And so studied developmental psychology, studied meditation, studied yoga, studied the nervous system, all of the things I could get my hands on to try to figure out how to reverse engineer this. Because I didn't think I was going to be perfect at parenting, but I sure wanted a framework to be able to be better at it or to recover faster. And so it really set me on a multi-year journey of figuring this out. I'm going to figure this out no matter what. And so I'm a pretty persistent person. <laughs> so it, 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 started, it started there and just took off. I love your persistence. I, and I love that story. Thank you for sharing that because there was something so beautiful, like you said, in that exact moment when you looked in his eyes and he looked in yours and you could have absolutely lost your mind, right? But you said, have, whatever you said to yourself to calm yourself in that moment, I'm not sure what I said in the moment. You know, it took me a long time to figure out. I think what I realized I said is it's okay. He's not trying to make my life terrible. He's just a kid. It was, it put it in perspective. I think sometimes we see things from the adult, this adult perspective of they're trying to make my life difficult. But yeah, I was able to harness that really just as a, as a gift that day, as a lesson, I guess, but not anything I'd mastered. Thank you. So brilliantly. And, and, and I agree, because even when I parent my, my own son, I have a 10 year old, and I often try to put myself in his shoes, because for me, at least there's no other way to parent, right? Like, I like to consider myself a conscious parent. And so I love to connect with him before I correct before I go into it. now, am I perfect at that? Like you said, no, absolutely not. But am I trying my best? Yeah, usually probably, you know, 95% of the time, but I'm also not a yeller. But when he was, it must've been maybe two or three, he had some sort of like squishy ball kind of thing that had like water inside. It was actually a tomato. I could actually tell you exactly what it was. Oh, it, was like a, it was like squishy <laughs> tomato and he squeezed it too hard and it exploded everywhere. And it wasn't even that big of a deal, but my reaction didn't match the situation at the time. And that was probably one of the only times that I really got upset and and actually yelled at him. Like I said, I'm not a yeller, but to this day, and like I said, he's 10 and a half now. And this happened when he was two or three, he'll still remember, like, remember that time with the tomato mom? And that 
broke my heart. And when he, he had mentioned that to me, maybe a couple of years after, maybe he was five or something and it broke my heart. And that to me was my one time, the awakening that I had. And I said, I can't ever have that happen again. Cause why should a child remember one instance, you know, five years after it happened? So true. They remember those things more than we would like them to, but they'll also forgive us too. They really are so so kind and so forgiving, especially I think when they can map us and they can tell how hard we are trying. So yeah, that, that, that's what it is. And the other thing too, is like, we have to forgive ourselves. You know, like, did I yell about the tomato? Yes. Should I have? No. But did I own up to it? Yes. Did I apologize? Absolutely. And did I ever then replicate that behavior again? No, I really haven't. And that was, like I said, probably eight years ago. And so I have a pretty good track record, so I shouldn't be so hard on myself. (laughs) You shouldn't be so hard on yourself. And, And I love that because when we're not hard on ourselves, that doesn't mean we don't learn. Sometimes we have this mindset of, I've got to be so critical of myself, but it's when we can be compassionate and curious why did I yell about the tomato or why did I lose my mind about the baby powder blizzard? Let me learn what I need to learn so I don't replicate that again. And if I do it again, let me learn from that until I don't do it again. Because sometimes there are reasons why we're triggered. Our nervous system gets triggered over things and it might take us some time to calm that down. But as long as we're on the path of curiosity and compassion and we're forgiving ourselves and we're apologizing to our kids, we're eventually going to get there. It's inevitable because we all have what we need inside. It's just about getting it out, (laughs) remembering how to do it. Yes. Yes. I love the story about the baby blizzard. You described that so well. I feel like I was there. I could like see it in my (laughs) mind. (laughs) Good. Yes. (laughs) I think that's powerful to put ourselves. We all have a version of the story, you know? Right. Right. Mine was a tomato. Yours was baby powder and flour. So I'm sure everyone has their own. I know I have a friend who's child covered themselves in red paint head to toe they they were just in their little underwear just like in their little briefs and they just covered themselves in red paint and so uh, for whatever reason I have a photo of that I don't know why so every once in a while I happen to like see it and I'm like oh gosh that's so terrible (laughs) oh yeah I heard desiccant you know like yes that's another one yeah it's it's like we're giving these all kinds of methods to help wake us up as a parent and say okay this may have be brought out your worst how do you not do that again? Or what is there to learn there? Why were you so triggered? It's just powerful to use every everything that triggers us as a lesson if we allow it to be a lesson for us. So parenting is, is good at that, helping us see that. <laughs> it definitely is. I want to talk about the connect method. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit about it. What is it? What's the like the foundation fundamentals of it? Yeah. It's about using connection, which is synonymous with relationship. You could use the word attachment, consciousness, but just realizing that as we are humans, whether we're three-year-old humans or 40-year-old humans, the thing that motivates us the most, that impacts us, that influences us the most is our relationships and our trust and our having other people believe in us, those, those relationships and that, that's the core. That's what matters. That's what impacts us. And it's easy to think, oh, it's these external things that impact, especially with kids. We're so inundated with a belief of the way we get them to do something is reward them or 
you know, threaten them by taking something away or, you know, we think we can manipulate from this external place. And granted, to a degree, there is a level of us being able to manipulate a child. However, it's not going to create the relationship. It's not sustainable. It doesn't light up their intrinsic motivation. So eventually, when they get older, they really want to listen and be a participant in the relationship they have with us and let us let them open themselves up rather to us being the primary influence in their life, at least when they're a child. But even as adult children, you know, we want them to call us and say, what do you think about this? They may not listen to us, but we want to be a part of that conversation. And it starts by us really honing into the fact that if I want to have a lasting impact on my kids, it really is connection, not correction. And it's not that we don't set limits. I'm not a passive, this is not a passive parenting framework, but it's the way in which we do the limits. And so many times the consequences do have a punitive spin to them. They're not clean. They're they're kind of in this negative way of, I want you to learn this lesson by having this consequence, but consequences don't teach lessons in and of themselves. They might create safety They might create uh, boundaries, they might help with other things, but the thing that teaches the lesson is the relationship. And so it's that impact and influence when they choose us to quote unquote, be their leader, so to speak, because being a parent, even though we have that role as, as a parent, it doesn't give us the right to parent. They really have to choose to allow us to be their parent. And so that comes by us, for lack of a better word, earning it by by gaining their trust and their respect, by being someone we can respect when we show up with them. So yeah, if I had to summarize it, it's an it's a approach to parenting that's based in developmental psychology that uses connection, not correction, as the primary mechanism for influencing our children, which is much more effective. <laughs> it's much more effective than trying to use correction. So that's how I would summarize it in a in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. I am absolutely all about it. Does it work on kids that are, let's say, you know, toddlers all the way up to teenagers, or is it really geared towards a particular age group? No, it works across all ages and stages. And that's the beautiful thing of it is it's not specific because a lot of times we get stuck on the external, like, what do I say? What do I do? And when you get the relationship and the the trust there and really start with yourself as a parent and get your own triggers in control and calm yourself down, then whether you're having to sit with your toddler as they throw a fit or even set a, a limit, I call it them limits or holding that limit of, no, you can't have the cookie. It's, you know, dinner's in five minutes and they might have a meltdown and you have to hold that limit and maybe let them cry or move them to a place where they're allowed to cry. That's that might be a different technique externally, but it's coming from the same fuel. It's it's being created from a place of believing in the child's best and trying to be there to support them and understanding what emotions are doing. You know, emotions are not a problem. And so understanding that, you know, from this connective mindset from the time they're a toddler to hey, the te- the teenagers throwing a big teenage version of a temper tantrum, rolling their eyes, maybe dropping a swear word, whatever they're doing, and I can honor them too. And I might not do the same external things as I did with my toddler, but the motivation's the same. And so because the foundation is the same, 
it lasts throughout the whole entire span, even as my kids are now turning into adults. That's the same, but you know, the outward, what do I do? What do I say might change? But that's the easy part, really, because once we get our own traumas, our own generational, whatever's coming with us, our conditioning in check. And once we're working on ourselves, which is a huge part of Connect Method Parenting is understanding my own behavior so I can leave room for theirs. Once I get that going and that train's moving, then I'm so much able, more able to figure out what do my kids need right now? Because it might even change. That's why I don't love saying, do this when this happens. It's, it's, it's not always the case. Sometimes they need a limit and sometimes they just need a shoulder to cry on because it's just been a rough day. And so that part can be so much more nuanced, that dance, when you understand what the foundation is. Yeah, a- absolutely. Can, let's say there's a parent who, you know, didn't practice this necessarily when their child was younger, but now may really need it as the parent of a teenager, can you just like jump in at this or is it like, have they missed the boat? Is it too late? (laughs) They have not missed the boat. (laughs) I don't think there's any place where we've missed the boat because when we start to change ourselves, we start changing how we show up. And I know you know this, I've, I've been following you. You have such, so much, so much on this, so much wisdom about this, but it's amazing how one person changing can start to change everything. And so when when we stop getting triggered or stop having these labels of they're so rude, that teenager, he is so rude, he is so entitled. When I can shift my internal story to, oh, he's just struggling, he is triggered, he is in a hard time in his life, and I can come with compassion and empathy, I still might have to set some limit that might be appropriate. Like, yeah, we need to take the phone away or yeah, we need to, you know, dial this back. That's fine. But when I'm coming with a different energy, I start changing the way I show up and inevitably those mere neurons in my brain are sending out a different signal. And so he's going to pick up on that. Now I'm going to say something really honest here. That teenager might take, there might be, there might, there might be a lag between when they start wanting to trust us enough to say, can I actually show up differently? Do I not really have to defend and protect myself against mom who's coming judge, you know, and judging me? And if we have judged him and been a little bit naggy or harsh for a few years, it might take him a little bit to realize this is for real. Mom has truly changed the way she's seen me and for him to, or her to relax and, and change the way they interact with us, but it's never too late. You know, it's, it's always possible for us to change the way we are. And then it's crazy. Life just seems to start changing. So don't give up hope. Even if you haven't started yet, it's, it's not too late. I've seen it time and time again. And sometimes it's really remarkable how quickly the changes might start happening. Cause at least for us, life's different. You know, at least for me, I have a better story about my teenager and that feels a lot better, a lot, lot better. Yeah, absolutely. So you have six kids. Can you just tell us their ages? Yeah, my oldest is 23, and then I have a 19-year-old, an 18-year-old. I miss somebody. A 19-year-old. Oh, no, say, so 23-year-old, 20. I miss my daughter. I was like, I miss somebody. So I have a 23-year-old son, a 20-year-old daughter, a 19-year-old son, an 18-year-old son, a 16-year-old daughter, and a 15-year-old daughter. She just had her birthday yesterday, so everyone just oh, bumped up. Oh, happy birthday yeah. to her. Oh, Thank that's- you. I know it was a fun day. We celebrated all day. So I'm really in the teenage adult kids now. I feel like we've navigated the tweens and the toddlers and the So it's fun to see how parenting in some ways changes but stays the same. Really. 
This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. Yes. Yeah, no, that that really speaks to me. Because like I said, I have a 10 and a half year old son. He's entering middle school in September. Yes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I'm a little worried. <laughs> I am. I'm a little worried because it's hard to navigate the social relationships. His body's going to be changing. There's a lot of change. Academically, it's going to get harder. So there's a lot of stuff coming. And so I, for me and for my husband, I think that we're just really gearing up for how can we tee up our son for success. And success doesn't necessarily mean academically. Um, for us, it really means a lot of social, emotional, and mental health and all of those things. And so I think right now for us, we're really focusing on our relationship as a family and and being there for him. And if he has questions or concerns or just needs, like you said, just needs a shoulder to cry on to talk about it, we're here. And, and we're really, really all focused on that as we are about to embark on our middle school journey. Oh, I'm so excited for you to embark on it. It, it is, it's a lot for the kids. I, I really try to remember, wow, this is this is a lot. And they have the extra layer of social media and phones and all these things that we didn't have to deal with when we were there and it was already difficult. It's also a time of significant growth in his brain. You know, the prefrontal cortex is growing. He's getting more cause and effect, more rational thinking. So it's also this explosion of development that just, it's so exciting with parenting because the, they change so much and they become more and more of an adult. But also that emotional, I love that you're focusing on the emotional growth because that's it's a big part of them growing up is our physical bodies, we grew up spontaneously. We can't stop the 10-year-old from turning, you know, going into puberty. There's no stopping that train. But emotionally, even though it happens spontaneous, it's not inevitable. If we don't give them the chance to go through those hard things and learn that they can survive, which you're teeing yourself up for, and I know you're going to be a pro at it, but that's such a gift yeah, you're, you're crossing, I'm crossing I know my you fingers. Will be. You, 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 know, you will be, you know, but it's, but it's sometimes so hard for us as a parent because either we want them to not have to suffer through the inevitable social, emotional things that they're going to go through, you know, through junior high and high school or middle school and high school, but to sit with them and give them space and grace to be able to go through it and us to know how to support them. I'm so grateful I had the tools to not just say, just, you know, or to minimize it or to try to cut it short, to let them take that whole journey from they're mad or to sad. Like they, they feel the resistance to they surrender to the emotion and let that brain truly become more emotionally resilient and strong. And this is the time you're entering the time where you're really going to be in the, in that, in that phase of, really helping him do that. So such a fun, ex just fun experience you're about to embark on. I'm excited for you. Oh, thank you, Andy. I, I appreciate that. I do feel like, you know, when you have toddlers, you experience that and then it's sort of a lull for a bit. And then when you have tweens, then you experience it again. Do you find that to be right. the case? 
Yes, yes. It's, I mean, every, every one of my kids was different. So some are more emotional, some are more expressive, some are more internal processors. But yeah, there does seem to be an unleashing of whatever they're, whatever they are, they're, you know, coming out further as they hit puberty and become adults. And, and yeah, it's, it's such an opportunity for us to step more into our maturity too as parents, you yes. know? It really yes, is. Because we've been just, parenting now for a long time. I often refer to myself as a veteran. Yeah, a decade. <laughs> it's a decade. That's a long time to be doing something. Because if you were in a job or a corporate job and you were at that job for 10 years, you're like, wow, well, that's I'm a long a time to be at that job. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I think But now so. you're getting upgraded to the CEO, you know? It's like you you start as the manager and now you're like the teenagers, you gotta learn how to fulfill a different role. Yes. It's going to be a very different role. And like you said, with social media and the phones and all of that kind of stuff, it's it's a lot to navigate. There are a lot of, and I'm using this in quotes, modern mom problems <laughs> that there are facing at that time. Yes, there are. So I want to go back. I want to circle back to the concept of listening skills and how to, to get our children to listen. I'm going to, let's role play quickly. For yes, let's do. Let's, Let, do let's do it. Okay. I want to talk about screen time. So let's say you have your 15-year-old, right? And she's on her her phone too much. And you would really love her to put down her phone and go do another activity, maybe go for a hike outside, something like that. What would you say to her in that instance? Oh, I love this. So the first thing I would say, and this has happened, so we can just like do a real role play because <laughs> she has screen time limits on her phone, but there's an iPad in the house. And so the iPad is dad's iPad and it doesn't have a limit. So there was a di- an instance since summer's here and she went and found it and it wasn't malicious. It wasn't, you know, but yeah, she did. She found that. And I saw her watching Gilmore Girls on it. And I was like, okay, hey, two hours of Gilmore Girls. It's time to read a book or do something else. So the exact same thing. So the first thing to increase the kids listening skills is really to check in with where we are. I think parenting always starts with us. Am I, how, how am I feeling about the fact that she has the iPad? She didn't necessarily, it's not, I wasn't as clear as maybe I could have been about it. We're just entering summer. So maybe we need to set the rules straight. But if, if the, even if the rules were very clear and I hadn't, you know, she had violated them, I want to check in with myself. Am I triggered? Am I mad? Am I angry? I've got to understand myself and see where I'm at. Cause if we're triggered, just it's not the right time, even though it might feel like I have to stop her right now from watching this. If I go in and it's fueled with frustration or anger, that's going to flavor every word that comes out of my mouth. And I am now setting myself up to have a harder time for her to want to listen to me and respect me and for me to respect myself. So that's step one is where, where am I? Am I triggered? And if so, what do I need to do to get myself calmed down? What's the story I want to have about her so that I can go in and be the most impactful and make a difference and have her actually want, because that's a big word. I say want to listen to me is different than get them to listen to me. There's no tug of war in want. They actually have a desire to listen. So if I'm in a good place and I'm thinking, okay, she's gotten the iPad and she's watching it and that's okay. There's it's, this is what it is. And I can just be present in the moment and accept it. Then I'm ready to go over. So then the next step is, can I actually establish a working relationship with her? (laughs) Because we forget this as parents do sometimes. It's really easy to just go in with our agenda and bulldoze and just let them know how they've done something wrong. And, you know, and we're right and hold this superior point of view. And that doesn't go over so well with us. It doesn't go over well with the kids either. So I want to go over and I want to take a second and see if where, where we're at with our relationship. So 
I always come in close. I look at her in the eyes. I'm going to see if she's going to look back at me or not. I'm going to see what her body language is like, if she's turning away from me, if she's not responding. I have three things if, that I usually am like, okay, these are my three indicators. If we have a working relationship, she'll look at me in the eyes. She'll smile if I say something somewhat funny or somewhat engaging, and she'll shrug or nod or do something, some body language. If that's not happening, then I got to stop there because there's something off with our relationship. It doesn't mean I'm not going to hopefully eventually get to step the next step. But if I was going to lunch with a friend and the friend wouldn't look at me in the eyes and turned around weird, I wouldn't just keep talking and pushing what I just wanted to talk about with them. I would realize there's something off here in this relationship. Like something's not right. Let me address that first. And so same thing with our kids. We have to have that working relationship. So let's say that we didn't get that, I would just keep connecting, try to engage, do something not even necessarily related to the iPad or cutting that off, but just what can I do so that we are working, have a working relationship. Once I get that established, then I'm able to give her a direction or set a limit. If I haven't been clear with the rule about the iPad, it might just be a direction where it's not, there's, there's nothing other than, Hey, me, me clarifying, Hey, I I know we weren't clear about this. It's the beginning of summer. Let me just, let's just have a conversation. What are, what are going to be the rules? What do we, and we'll, we go from there. She's a lot more likely to want to listen to me because now I have taken care of my own emotional state. I'm not coming in triggered. I've taken the time to make sure she's actually responding to me. I've been respectful in that way. And now I'm having honest collaboration with her and saying, okay, because she's older, 15, she's able to talk with me in that way. It would be different if, I, if the scenario was a toddler, right? But because we're doing a teenager and, and be able to come to a consensus, she's smart. Our kids know, they, they, they know what the, our rules are. They know what our standards are. They want to do their best. They want to progress. So I always come in assuming she knows what, you know, what I probably want. She knows what our standards are. I'm not going to come in and talk down to her in that way. I'm just going to have a conversation to uplevel it. And so those are the those are the beginning things that would allow me to come in to a scenario like that and get my chances of my child wanting to listen to me higher. And the likelihood is if you follow all those things, you're coming in clean, you're making sure things are good between you and you're having that conversation. It's it's probably going to turn out much better. And if it doesn't, if she just won't connect with me and she's just turning away, I'm prepared to to be in a mindset where I'm not going to explode. I'm not going to just lash out. I'm going to just be like, okay, I'm going to take, maybe I'd say, well, I'm just going to take the iPad away for now since we're, you know, haven't come to a consensus on what that looks like. And we'll circle back when we're both in a good place. When do you think that would be? And I'm able to stay in control because she's not. And so it really is our responsibility as a parent to come in and hold that higher emotional state and the higher intention and the belief so that we can set ourselves up to have our kids say, oh, I choose you. I want to I listen to you. You have something worth saying, you know, even if it's not really what they want to hear or the, the, the limit they don't really maybe agree with, but they're going to at least engage with us if we're respectful and follow those steps. That's so incredible. I'm so glad you like walked us through that. And I'm also really glad that you added that 
extra part at the end of like when it doesn't go well and it doesn't go according to plan. And, and there, you do need a backup plan because sometimes then they may get dysregulated, right? And so then you have to have to regulate yourself in order to keep, like you said, the process going. Yeah. You still need yeah, to they need down on screen time. <laughs> Right. They still need, you still don't want 20 hours of screen time a day, which they might do left to their own devices. So yeah, we have to regulate ourselves because they need us to co-regulate with them, especially at that age. They're really not built. I know you know this, but like, it's just such a good reminder. I have to remind myself, okay, I am the one that's holding this place so that she can come alongside of me. It's not, she's not fully able to do this on her own. So it's my job to come in and hold it. Yeah. Even when she gets dysregulated and it's like, mom, this is so crazy. Nobody else has screen time. Why am I the only one? You know, and I, I can just sit there and be like, you're, you're right. I get it. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that to sort of add on to this, do you think that if we as parents aren't setting the clear limits and the clear boundaries, that's where it starts to get muddy? Because if, if, does that make sense? Is that a clear question? If not, I could yeah, I no, I think that's very clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if we're not clear ourselves, how in the world would our child know what the what the boundaries or rules are? It'd be like if we were playing soccer and nobody was quite sure what the rules were. Today it's okay to touch the ball with your hands, but tomorrow it's not okay. You know, everyone would be so confused. And th- I think that can be very problematic. It doesn't mean we need to have a lot of rules. It just means to it just means that we need to be clear on the ones that are important to us. And that being consistent helps everybody have a better chance of success. So yeah, I would agree that can be problematic. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm starting to sense a lot of good C words here. It's like consistency, connection. <laughs> overcorrection. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I say connection over correction. That connection can do what correction never, never could. Right. So and yeah. Be consistent, right? So <laughs> consistent, be confident, be yes. calm. Yeah. There, there are a lot go. of C words. All the I need C to words into it. It's a lot of alliteration. I'm all for that. Yeah. Whatever helps us remember. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Andy, tell everyone where we can find you online. Yeah. It's just my Instagram is my, just as my name, Andy Martineau. And that's where I hang out a lot. I have on Facebook too and under Connect Method Parenting. And then you can always check out my website. I have a free course that people can go through if they want to get a taste of it. I, I, I shared a link, but you can find it on my website, connectmethodparenting.com. So come get your feet wet and check it out and see how connection can be your primary mechanism for parenting. You don't need this correction, external stuff. It's all about connection. It is all about connection because at the heart of it, parenting is all about relationships. It is. Yes, it definitely is. And remembering that and understanding how do I build that relationship? How do I use that in a positive way to help create these dreamy relationships to have fun with my kids? That's what it's all about. So just remembering the essence of parenting isn't discipline. The essence of parenting is connection and then everything else just unfolds from there. Yeah. Wonderful. Andy, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It was so fun to talk about this with you, Tara. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. 
Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.